might not make you intelligent but we're gonna try to prove otherwise this is the clashing sabers podcast i am one of your hosts brandon boylan and with me is drew brett good morning everybody it's nice to see you all or if you're listening in the evening or the afternoon whatever it is good to no i said what i said you know what let's not put our listeners in a box drew it's morning everywhere somewhere For me, it's always morning because I get up so early that by the time I've been up all day, it's like noon. Uh, so we are going to be talking about Exile on this show uh, and kind of how it plays into the Star Wars story and what it means for the characters and the character development. But before we jump into that, I have to ask, Drew, what have you been Star Warsing lately? Mm, that's a really good question. It's kind of a weird spot. And I'll tell you why it's a little bit strange, because I noticed something specifically with my kids um, about this. They love the toys. They love like the Lego games. They love the books. They will not sit and watch a single Star Wars with me anymore. And I don't know why that is. It's really weird. Have you got any kind of like, because you deal with kids a little, little bit older than mine for your work. Um, do you have kids who just enjoy maybe the story or the act, but don't really like to watch it at all? Um, it's kind of hard to say because, like, I don't sit and watch the movies with them. Every time that I have been able to watch a movie with them, like one year I, I was able to play A New Hope for our end-of-the-year party, uh, everybody was pretty nice. enthralled by it for the most part. The first 20 minutes or so, it was kind of like, I'm, they were getting antsy, but then once stuff started happening and, and the, the story picks up after they leave Tatooine, uh, yeah. they were they were into it the whole time. So, But a lot of that, I think, had been – we'd been talking so much about the story all year uh, that they were really intrigued by it. But overall, I mean, for the most part, the kids seem to have a, a long attention span. Because, like, when I reference, like, Marvel movies and DC movies, they've all seen those, you know? Um, so I can pretty universally, like, say, like, remember in Infinity War when Thanos did this? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> There's the one kid in the back who's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is a Thanos? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because, like, the the going thing in education right now is students shouldn't be sitting in any one place for more than the length of more minutes than their age, I guess is how you would say it. So what? like if they're 10 years old, they shouldn't be only be sitting for like 10 minutes. You mean like physically they shouldn't be sitting yeah, in the same only, place? Yeah. They should only be doing like one thing for like 10 minutes before they lose attention. So you're supposed oh, to like, geez. yeah. And I'm like, mm, I think we're playing into their hands instead of getting them ready for the real world. <laughs> so, because I did a lesson and I texted or uh, I posted this in the Facebook group, uh, Star Wars, Clashing Saber Star Wars community. I always mess that up. Uh, but I actually taught a lesson this week on poetry using the Star Wars trailers for Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and their posters as well. And oh, nice. showing them some of the like the rhyming that they did. Um, so, for example, uh, in the Force Awakens trailer, 
the the full length one, not the Chewie were home one from Celebration. But you see Ray in, in the mask, you see Ray's back, and you see uh, her face, and then you see Finn's back, you see his mask, you see his face, and then you see Kylo Ren's back, you see his mask, and then when you should see his face, you see his mask looking at Darth Vader's mask. So there's kind of mm. a parallel there showing um, how they're connected, and then they also have uh, in there when they're on the Falcon talking to Han right before he says it's true, all of it. You see Finn walk a little closer to Ray, and like I showed them how that's showing a visual connect, visually showing a connection between the characters and and stuff. And I mean, they were sitting there for a solid thirty five, forty minutes as we were talking through this. And wow, like, I'm like, it's not a matter of you can't have them sit there doing this. It's a matter of you have to do something that makes them care. Yeah, that's kind of the difference is you got to make sure that they're engaged. But yeah, like my kids love the toys and they'll make their own stories up and they know the stories pretty well. The thing that they watch, the, they're the most interested in actually watching are the Clone Wars cartoons, which isn't a bad thing. Um, they think uh, Count Dooku is the big bad villain of the entire Star Wars universe, which is kind of interesting and a little bit sad. So I'm trying to do a little better parenting job with them, I promise you people. Is, is it really like... The TV show is obviously very different, but like as far as the toys and stuff go, I feel like that was a major part of what kept Star Wars going for me. Like I watched the movies pretty regularly, but not being in control of my own television when I was growing up, like the yeah. toys were where it was at. Was it different for you? No, I think that was definitely a, a key factor, but at the same time, I could usually make sure... I could corral everybody in the house who was going to be in this, the room when the TV was on to watch watch it because my brothers liked it enough to deal with it as much as I did. Um, we didn't have a lot of the toys growing up. I remember buying a lot of them in high school when I finally got like a, my first job and I was supposed to be saving money, but I ended up buying – it was really weird. I bought every Micro Machines Jawa set that I could possibly get my hands on. So by the end of like my first or I guess by the end of my high school career, I had like dozens and dozens of these tiny little Jawas and I have a handful of them left still now in a bag, in a box somewhere in my attic. But a couple of friends of mine, we would always find like the weird things that we would get into. Like I really like the Jawas. A friend of mine really liked Stormtroopers. A friend of mine really liked, you know, Boba Fett. And we would all just kind of like every time we saw a thing with that, we'd get it no matter what it is. So I always walked away with a lot of dumb things, too, that I spent way too much money on over the days. That sounds like me with Porgs today as a grown man. <laughs> oh, no. So... So, uh, well, it was like I found uh, maybe a year or two ago when I started getting back into, like, what do the toys look like? Because I, I kind of thought maybe the kids would enjoy them and that would kind of spur on, oh, hey, you know, you've been in enjoying this character. Let's see what it he actually does in the film or something like that. And I got the black series of Ray and I got one of, of Jin or so. And, and then they both wanted to play with them. I'm like, these are mine and they're going to stay in their boxes on a shelf and you're never going to touch them. So we had to get second copies of them so that they could actually open them up and play with them, which wasn't bad because by then they were on sale or they're on clearance or something for like $5 at target, which almost never happens. So mine were the expensive ones and they're going to sit in a box and they get to actually play with them. But they love doing that. So it's kind of strange to me the things that they do enjoy watching. I think they most enjoyed, for, for Star Wars movies anyway, the Solo movie was a big hit, which is a little sad and disappointing. And 
the Clone Wars cartoons are definitely the top ones. That's kind of what they enjoy the most. I keep trying to get them into like The Force Awakens a little bit more and a little bit more, but Rogue One works out pretty well. They'll sit and watch Rogue One the whole time. They won't ask for it by name, but when I put it on to watch it myself, they'll sit down and watch it too. So that's kind of weird. I mean, it's Rogue One. Everybody loves Rogue One. It's really fun. (laughs) I really like it. It's such a good movie. So I wanted to talk about this. It's going to come up in our conversation today a couple times. Yes, it is. Uh, But in particular, I wanted to talk about it real quick. Like, we're not really a new show, and I don't want to get into, like, all the news, but I'm pretty excited about this announcement of a Cassian Andor show. What are your thoughts on this? I was really excited. I did not think that this was something we were going to get. I think... Cassian is a great, great character. He's a lot of fun. I think he'll be a lot of fun to watch as he lives out his fight against the Empire since he was six years old. Um, I'm really kind of interested to see what they're going to do with him. I hope we get a lot of good K2SO. I really, really want them to do that, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't heard if we know anything about Alan Tudyk coming back to be the voice of K2SO. Do you know anything no, we heard that. Special. Like literally, the only thing we got was Diego Luna's back casting Andor spy thriller, and that's like the extent of it. I, I'm good with that. I'm sold on that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And and it, unfortunately, I'm going to have to get this streaming service when it comes out next year. Now, well, the the one thing that worries me, I'm super excited, um, and there's of course so much potential for cameos and and things going on in that era. But you mentioned K2SO, and I am a little bit concerned about that. Not because we haven't heard of Alan Tunick uh, doing anything, because they could always bring somebody else in to do it and do, like, a voice mimic or something. Um, which would not would be, be a, a bad idea. Yeah, I mean... It's, but it'd be acceptable. It's, it you know, kind of... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's okay. The problem I have, or the, the concern that I have, is they told that the Cassian... Or they had the Cassian one-shot comic and told the story of how... K2 and Cassian met um, and I just read oh, that yeah. and it was it was fine it it was a thing that happened <laughs> like if you start before he has K2SO then are you going to tell that story on the show which will of course you know make some people butt hurt are you going to say oh no that comic doesn't count anymore because this story prevails um, like how are you going to going to go about that or are you just going to say like all right well we're gonna do everything before k2s so i think that's it's kind of weird because we don't really know exactly the timeline of when they met versus when rogue one is and how close this show is going to be to rogue one so i'm trying to quell my expectations just because i don't want to i don't want to overthink it and then it's like Here's a really great Cassian Andor show, but I don't really like it because I wanted K2SO and I'm not getting K2SO, <laughs> you know? Um, or I well, wanted... I, th- I think you have you have successfully overthought this. If your your biggest concern is how it's going to interact with a one shot comic book that was issued maybe two years ago that I don't know maybe 17 people read. Have you have you met me? That's o- a good point. Overthinking is a what good I point. do. I wrote. You know, a you're not wrong. On why Chewbacca didn't get but actually did get but gave up his medal coming soon to clashingsabers.net but yes hey you know what (sighs) you're really you're really killing me here it's a good article okay (laughs) i'm i'm sure it's great i'm sure the prose is phenomenal i mean you're just saying that so you can keep your job what are you gonna do dock my pay (laughs) 
Fifty percent of zero is still zero. Still zero. Oh man, no, but I. By the way, we're still open for sponsorships and advertisements. By the way, so keep that in mind. Starwars.com. Uh, Blue Apron, looking at you. <laughs> Blue Apron, Hello Fresh. Uh, what else is? I'm not picky. Yeah, no. Well, oh, we've made this joke before. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, we do come cheap though. <laughs> what have you been Star Warsing? Uh, so I. What have I been Star Wars in? I read... What did I just read a little bit ago? Oh, yeah. I read the Solo and the Last Jedi <laughs> junior novels. Um, which the junior novels? Yeah. So I I enjoy the junior novels. Um, they're... I mean, they're, they're well-written. They tell the story pretty solidly. Um, and there's always, you know, something that just makes me go, hmm, in there. Um, Solo... The Solo story itself, I'm really coming to like a lot more um because it's why just, do you say that it's just fun like after i read the solo novel and we did the show on it and it wasn't the best novelization ever it wasn't life-changing or anything but when i closed it and i was finished i was like that was a really fun time like you never i never felt down reading the book um or watching the movie or anything like that and it was the same same kind of feeling i got with the junior novel uh, hmm. it's just you know, because, like, Last Jedi, you have to be, like, emotionally prepared to watch that because it's a heavy movie. Even Force Awakens oh. um, has heavy parts in it, you know, with Han dying and everything. And Solo is, like – Solo to me is a lot like The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace has – I mean, Qui-Gon dying, of course, is is pretty bad. But other than that, like, The Phantom Menace is really just, like, a, a fun movie. And I feel like Solo is kind of the same thing. It's just – it's just a good time to watch it, but I enjoy going back to those stories in the different formats and seeing kind of how different people interpret it. Uh, other than that, I mean, I was pretty – I had a good time teaching that lesson that I talked about earlier, and uh, I am – I'm on Thanksgiving break now, so the next couple of days before we leave town, I'm going to be catching up on Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, which, of course, Dave Filoni. Whoa, okay, Sure. Dave Filoni did the first season of that. I've never actually sat down to watch it, so I was able to get my hands on it, and I'm not going to be able to get through it super quickly, but I am going to work on it, work on watching it the next couple of days, particularly um, season one or book one, as it's called, because that is, of course, you know where Filoni got his start and what kind of got him uh, into the Clone Wars. So I'm excited about that. Interesting. All right. Well, let me know how that goes. That show keeps coming up as something that people get diehard fanatic supporters about. Well, I'm not like – I've never really been super into that anime style. Uh, you will be. You will be. No, 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 no. I know. Exactly. Like it's not because I haven't – Not. I don't actively dislike it. I just have never really gotten into it. Um, it's just one of those things I'm, I'm not really uh, – I don't really seek those things out, but I've tried finding a couple on Netflix, and I watched. Have you heard of the Dragon Prince? It's a new. Uh, I've I've seen the trailer for it. I've seen that it's on Netflix now. I haven't actually watched it. it looks yeah. pretty good. I'd, it, I'd sit down and watch that. It, it it had an okay start. I'm not sure about it. I I watched like the first three episodes, and I haven't gone back to it yet. But I think I might go back to it. But that's like really like the first one I've ever watched, and I know there's so many good ones out there. Um, but Netflix ha Netflix has a bunch, but then they never really tell you like if it's in English or in Japanese. So I was flipping through trying to find one uh, a couple weeks back, and it was all in like Japanese or 
that's not a bad thing. <laughs> except, for, except for I don't know what they're saying because they didn't have subtitles. Well, you can put those on. You know that, right? I don't want to do that. You push the button. I don't. Oh, God forbid you be forced to push a button. I don't want to read my TV shows. Okay. okay. I will find. Okay, let's let's back this, this thought train up a little bit because Avatar is not an anime. It may be a, a an Eastern inspired animation style, but is not from Japan. Let's just put that out there and be clear about it. Yeah. I will find you some good. If you watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood on Netflix, that's one of the best anime that's out there. You will enjoy it, even if you have to read it. And most of them do have like an English dub on top of it, but. I always recommend the subtitled version anyway. And you get used to it. You get used to being able to read for like 10 seconds. Okay, well, you send me a list, and I yeah. will check them out after I finish Avatar eventually. By I will. I'm excited. <laughs> By the time you finish Rebels, I'll have some of the stuff done. So like 20... Fair point. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. So I'll be married, <laughs> married with kids by then. <laughs> They may even be. All right, all right, all right, all right, all um, right. I don't really know. Is there any? Wow, else? okay. <laughs> you like how I just like walked right past that? Um, yep. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we jump into our main topic? Because we have a lot to talk about with this. I think we should get into it. All right, cool. So we're going to take a quick break and throw it over to Devin from Unmistakably Star Wars. And we'll be right back after this. Hey, Clashing Sabers listeners. I hope you're enjoying this great podcast. This is Devin Kleffer from Outer Rim Originals, your online source for limited edition Star Wars artwork from officially licensed Disney and Topps artists. Each Outer Rim Original artwork has the industry's lowest print run of only 45 prints. All limited edition pieces from Outer Rim Originals are printed on archival quality Z-Clay paper, are hand-numbered, signed by the artist, and include a certificate of authenticity from Outer Rim Originals. And, because you're a listener of this podcast, Outer Rim Originals is offering you the opportunity to purchase a limited edition signed print with 10% off of your order. Simply head to OuterRimOriginals.com and enter the discount code Clashing Sabers, the number 10. That's Clashing Sabers 10. Then get ready to be the envy of the galaxy with a limited edition signed print from Outer Rim Originals. Remember, OuterRimOriginals.com, discount code Clashing Sabers 10. That's OuterRimOriginals.com, discount code Clashing Sabers 10. Now, back to the podcast. All right, and we're back, and we are yeah. going to dig into Exile in Star Wars this, uh, I almost said this year, but that's, we're not going to take a whole year. It's going to be a deep podcast, but not that deep. So Statistically verified. <laughs> I'm trying to lead into something here, and you're throwing me off. Oh, oh, my bad. I'll shut up now. Please do. This is, don't you know this show <laughs> is here for me? It's just an avenue for me to run my mouth. Yeah, actually. <laughs> You're just here to look pretty, and it's an audio podcast, so. You know what? I'm going to fight you. Uh, probably. Um, and you'll be able to outrun me, but. I'll, I'll take it. You. I thought you said you were building up to something. <laughs> I was. I don't remember what I was building up to. So, all right. Uh, yeah. That train this is going well. <laughs> we're all fine here. How are you? Uh, so, Exile, and I, I, I want to start by kind of defining how we view exile because like normal you and i kind of minimally talk about what we're going to talk about so we can kind of come to it fresh and with our own uh point of view and just instead of just agreeing with each other all the time sure but um for me i consider exile just a removal of the of a character from the larger picture of the story 
Um, and interestingly enough, when I was thinking about it, I think that this is where the characters get into their, their greatest trials. And that's why for a lot of these characters, um, it really is a time of change for them. Um, and so when we see them before and we see them after it, it's a different, different character, um, that we see particularly like the best example I think is Yoda from the prequels to, uh, Empire Strikes Back, which we'll dig into, but I kind of base my ideas um, about exile around the Bible and uh, Buddhism because, of course, there's a lot of religious influence um, when it comes to Star Wars. And we're not going to – we're going to touch on these <clears> – <throat> excuse me. We're going to touch on these as stories. We're not going to preach our own personal beliefs on it, so please just go on the ride with us. But there is, of course, this the story of Jesus in the Bible being exiled for 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted by the devil – and Drew, I know you're familiar with this, of course, but uh, for those of you who aren't, he was tempted to turn stones into bread, to throw himself off of the temple, and basically like display his power, and to bow down to Satan, who would give him the world. Um, that's like the super short summary version of it. And I see a lot of that in the Star Wars story, about the temptation that had to be there for certain characters to jump back in, and become a part of the larger picture and do what was good right then versus what was good forever kind of thing. Does that make sense? It does. There are some elements that you're leaving out, which isn't bad. Um, I think we can fill some of that in because the exile is used as a punishment, either a self-imposed punishment or from an outside, you know, non first person party. So if you want to keep a biblical scriptural idea of, of those kinds of things, um, the I guess you call it the popular scholarly theory is that the Apostle John was exiled by the Roman government. And when he was exiled on the island of Patmos, that's where he wrote the book of the Revelation. So he was captured and sentenced to this exile because they didn't want to kill him. They had enough problems in the Roman government at the time. But that's where they stuck him on this island all completely by himself, and that's where he wrote that book. And again, like you said, we're not going to try and get into all that kind of religious tenets there, but the idea is the exile itself is used specifically as a punishment. And I think what you'll see, or at least one of the things that stuck stood out to me, is the difference between if it's a self-imposed or a, a not-as-self-imposed exile. And a lot of the characters we want to talk at – talk about here look to have self-imposed exiles which kind of says something um i'm interested to see what you think about yoda because i think there's a question of number one what is the exile for like what's the reason that's the decision and number two what do they do with it like what is it that they really learn or, or what is different in their lives because of that so I don't know if that's probably that's probably something you, you stumbled across and I hope we you'll be able to pick up, but do you wanna just jump into Yoda? Into exile. I must go. I, I hadn't really thought about it in the self imposed exile versus forced exile. Um and I find that really interesting because we can see that like historically. Um, of course, like yeah. what you talked about, but even like Napoleon being forced uh out of Europe, um and basically put on a prison island for lack of a better term. Um, and, and being that forced exile and it didn't really lead to any change for him um, <laughs> but for people who kind of go on these self-imposed 
Exiles, I think you see a great amount of change. And I think Yoda in particular is is one of those characters because, like, as the leader of the Jedi Order, it's not, it's not all his fault. Like, Yoda didn't do everything wrong. But as the lead of the Jedi Order, he does shoulder a great amount of blame. That's just the natural part of being in a leadership position. So he has 20 years to learn from those mistakes. Um, and, and he knows the way he didn't the way he did it didn't work so it's like what are you going to do about that and i think we see that when it comes to him training luke um i think i've mentioned this before uh on the show but i think it's really george lucas is a visual storyteller right he he will tell you that his stories Mm -hmm. are in the visuals not in the dialogue so while we get stuck a lot on the dialogue of yoda because he has some amazing um lines and some great wisdom in those lines I think it's really, really important that when we see Yoda actually actually training people in the prequels, they're all using a lightsaber. Um, in Attack of the Clones, that scene where Obi-Wan with the, uh, goes in and has lost uh, the planet of Kamino, we see him training younglings with a lightsaber. And then when we see him training Luke in Empire Strikes Back, which is the second act um, of the trilogy, just like Attack of the Clones, we don't see Luke training with the lightsaber, and look at in the end how those Jedi decide how those Jedi ended up solving their problems. Right, the the Jedi of the prequel solved their problems at the end of a lightsaber. Luke throws his lightsaber away. And hmm. I think that's really important. That is interesting. It's definitely something that you see on screen. I think. Well, I don't want to take too much away from from that because I think. Uh, the bulk of Empire, a lot of the interesting parts of that come from the Lee Brackett draft, who really came up with the nuts and bolts of how the story works. I mean, Lucas gave us kind of like the overarching beats, here's this, that, and the other thing. But Brackett, when she wrote that draft, filled in a lot of kind of what makes it interesting. And, and if you guys haven't read it, Lee Brackett's draft of Empire Strikes Back is available on the internet for download. It's a pretty easy Google search. You should find it just for the first page alone where Luke Skywalker is on Hoth and his red cape is flowing in the wind. That alone was, is, was, is worth the, uh, the download there. I mean, let me ask you this then, because your, your point is basically that the training of the Jedi in the prequels it's done at the end of a lightsaber, which I don't think is wrong. But how do you explain then all the sequences where, you know, Anakin comes and talks to him or, you know, the council members and they're sitting and discussing it? I mean, I feel like to say that they train with lightsabers as their focus is a, is a little bit over reductive. I... And especially, and let me, and the reason I, I say that is, and this may not be something that factors into it, but there's a, there's a, a scene in the Empire Strikes Back novelization and, think this is in the original novelization i don't think it's in some of the newer i don't know if it's still in the newer ones or whatever there's a sequence where luke is training with this lightsaber against a remote inside yoda's hut yeah inside and there's a certain point where where yoda takes like two or three more and throws them up into the air where luke is battling against i think it's four of them at a time so there definitely is and especially with all the physical training that we see him force upon luke you know running jumping climbing vines kinds of things I mean, do we really think that flips and push-ups are, are what's going to make a Jedi a Jedi? I don't think that it is, but he's trying to cultivate something there. But I don't no, know. I don't want to— I don't think it's—I'm not trying to be reductive in the sense of, like, Jedi should not be using lightsabers or um, 
lightsaber training or anything for Jedi is wrong. I think that there was in in telling the story that way there just was a, a subliminal message kind of in there i definitely okay. think he does train luke with his lightsaber because you're not going to stand up to darth vader without having some lightsaber training um in some of the novels and comics in between we see luke training with his lightsaber so i definitely think he does train with his lightsaber um i just think that the the message lies in the fact that he trains with the lightsaber in the prequels in the second act at a very similar time um that he's training luke and empire and he's not using a lightsaber and that whole ring theory um type thing to go back to what you were saying about um when he's working with like anakin the big the major time that he works with anakin and the one that comes to mind immediately is when anakin tells him about his dreams uh, yeah. about padme dying and he that's what i was thinking about he basically says like yeah, just learn to get over it, which I feel like is such a simplification of what you need to do. Like, I think that's the a major place where the Jedi failed Anakin was they were telling him what to do, but they weren't telling him how to actually do it, right? Like, Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones says dreams will pass in time. He doesn't say, like, your feelings are valid um, and I understand them. He doesn't. He doesn't empathize with him. He's just, like, basically, like, get over it. Right. And mm. even with stuff with Satine, it takes he's never honest about Satine until like after Satine has died and he admits to Anakin that it was hard and stuff. And I'm like, you you know, Obi-Wan knew he was with Padme. Like, there's no way you're that close to somebody and you don't know that. And there was an opportunity there to make him feel more welcome. I just watched the the arc on Clone Wars this morning where he changes his appearance to be the bounty hunter Rune Heiko. Oh, yeah. Like, well, well, Anakin and stuff. Okay. And Did you so say it, the bounty hunter Rune Heiko? Yeah, that's how you say it, isn't it? Rune Heiko is one of the Nemoidians, but that's a different thing. What's his name? He's one of the Federation Trade Federation guys. Whatever. Whatever the bounty hunter's name is. Um, okay. I just wanted to get... I wanted to save you the tweets, okay? You know what? I'm going to say... I'm here to help! At me. At me. Come at me. <laughs> I can be a loud internet voice, too. Um, so, anyways, going back to Yoda, I, I think it's really important um, when we see him in Rebels, he admits to, Yo or to Ezra, rather, that the Jedi got lost in the dark side during the Clone Wars. And when we see him training Luke, the focus is on knowledge and defense and never for attack. So I think the stark difference that you have between Yoda in the prequels and Yoda in the sequels, or excuse me, in the original trilogy is really important. And then when you jump to the sequels and again, I think he's kind of, for lack of a better term, been exiled from Luke because Luke's cut himself off from the force. Um, and mm. when he comes back, the lesson that he has to teach is, you know, the greatest teacher failure is, which is exactly the lesson that he learned in the prequels. Because he goes in Revenge of the Sith to solve their problem by going to fight Palpatine and going to uh, having Obi-Wan go to fight Yoda, both with the intention of killing. Um, in Dark Disciple, we see the Jedi put in an assassination plan for to, to murder Count Dooku. And while we look at it like, okay, yeah, that probably would have been better for the galaxy, it's, a, it's also a hypocrisy because they're going against their, their beliefs. Um, and it's a, it's a very like 
where does that line end and, and you know yeah when is it okay to cross it type thing um but i think if we look at it more as a mythology and the messages that it's trying to convey um i think that the the arc of yoda and his exile is it's really eye-opening to how even the greatest among us uh can change even those who are the smartest among us can change and how even the teachers should also be the students at the point in return uh, or sorry revenge of the sith at the very end where they're talking about their future plans and yoda says into exile i must go do you think he ever has an intention of returning kind of back into not necessarily the public spotlight but returning to action in full force i honestly i think when he went possibly um i think once he got there and started to learn from qui-gon um at some point that 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 passed by i i there's a theory out there that i've heard that the fight with uh palpatine took so much out of him and that's why the yoda that we see in empire um which is just like 21 years later um is so much older and unable to move of course like in actuality it's just like because it's a puppet guys it's a puppet it's a puppet it's it's okay for it to be a puppet guys i enjoy i enjoy trying to like explain away the things that are simply just like um you're you're like the guys you're like the guys who come up with the theory that when obi-wan is facing vader on the death star that there's this the one camera angle where obi-wan's lightsaber is pointed right at the screen and you can see the rod of the thing because there's nothing on the tip of it you're the kind of guy who like who says that it happened that way because vader's crystal was so strong that it was actually breaking down obi-wan's crystal i mean i haven't heard that before but it seems seems legit oh my gosh (laughs) just somebody sent help Uh, okay well at the end of the day it was just like puppet versus cgi but i think that the idea that the dark side um, was so powerful that it took so much out of him is is interesting. I, I do think in the end it just comes down to he realized that kind of like Luke did, somebody else has to step up. Like I tried, I did what I needed to do because I don't think the fact that Yoda was the leader at during the Clone Wars negates the other 700 years or whatever that he was leading the Jedi Order. You know, we don't know exactly how long that was, but, you know, three bad years, even though they led to the worst outcome, I don't think should completely negate all the good that the Jedi did for the galaxy. Um, So, I mean, you're not necessarily wrong by that, that we shouldn't be defined by the worst moments of our lives, but you're talking about the entire crumbling of a a multi-thousand-year-old institution at his very hands. So, I mean, it's like if you're driving a car and you get you know, 99% of the way there, and then drive the car off a bridge. I mean, you did a really good job, but everybody still dies in the end. Well, but I also don't... In yes. this No, hold on, hold on. In this situation, I don't think that the, the two have to exist in opposition. Like, he did a bunch of good. He did a great amount of good, and he also messed up really, really bad. In your analogy, like, the goal is simply to get to your destination. The goal for him was not simply to get to the get to his destination, right? Like, it was to to better the galaxy, to improve the lives of these uh, people around him, to 
increase the the presence of the force in the galaxy and to to a great extent i think that he did and again in their hubris in their their arrogance um they they got lost right so the way I kind of look at it. I mean, it, but the state, the stated mission in like the opening crawls is that the Jedi are the guardians of peace and defenders of the galaxy for thousands of years, and they failed. Yes, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm all, I'm just saying he also did some really great stuff. Okay. Well, before we get to you know at each other for that one, I want to kind of transition to Obi Wan uh, by comparison because I I kind of I thought of something when I was looking at this is that I'm not really sure that Obi-Wan is actual, actually in any kind of exile here. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. Really? All right, why do you say that? Yeah. It's more of an instruction for him at the beginning to keep an eye on Luke. His job is to keep a low profile, not necessarily not necessarily to be completely removed from the goings-on of the individuals in his area. Like, it's his not being punished for anything. It's his next assignment. But also the thing that stands out to me is that Obi-Wan, even when he's on Tatooine, and we have the, the book, the Kenobi, Kenobi novel, boy, that's a mouthful, where he's still willing to get involved in everyday life. You know, he still is going to protect people in a bar fight. He's still going to protect people from Tusken Raiders, and he's still going to fight against the crate Dragon towards the end of the book. He stays involved, is my point. And that's something that you don't see in Yoda's actions. Yoda finds the farthest, remotest place he can possibly get to and builds a hut in a swamp. So he's not expecting to be found, but there's also nobody there to find him. Obi-Wan's job is to keep an eye on Luke and, and when he is ready to finally introduce him to the training that awaits him. So I don't really know that his counts as an exile. Um, I don't think it's as hard of an exile as Yoda. Like, as it can be defined as, as straight down the, the line of exile as Yoda's. But I do think that it is an exile because when I think about exile, I think of it as an opportunity for somebody to consider where they made their mistakes and what they did wrong and where to go from there. It doesn't necessarily just mean like, hey, you're kicked out of here. Um, because I don't... Because I don't know, Obi I think by definition it does. I mean, it. yes, but I don't think that's the only definition of it. Um, I think he, he was removed from the larger story of the galaxy for 20 years, and I think the reason it is an exile is because while he did like small acts of good um, on Tatooine, his his major mission was to figure out like where the Jedi go from there. Um, and I consider it exile because kind of like I mentioned Jesus before, having temptations and and having to overcome those. Um, I I see Obi Wan kind of in that same. Uh, same sense because he could have gone off and trained Ezra. Um, he could have trained Luke for years. He oh. could have let himself live past the Death Star. It's the fact that he does none of these because of the training he gets with Qui-Gon on Tatooine um, that lead to the Obi-Wan that everybody loves. Because if Obi-Wan isn't Obi-Wan in the original trilogy, everybody would think he's a really cool character in the prequels, but I don't think anybody, I don't think he's as beloved as he is 
if he's not that wise old sage that we get in the original trilogy. And he had a lot of opportunity to rejoin the galaxy. Um, he could have gone off and fought in the war and then gone back and picked Luke up. Or he could have like said, I'm going to go train Luke. I mean, at the end of the day, what's Yoda going to do? Like, the Jedi Order doesn't really exist anymore. If, if Obi-Wan's going to go off and train Luke, he's going to go off and train Luke. Like, he was going to leave and train Anakin. So, I think, if we don't want to use the word exile, I think you could think of it as a retreat. Um, in, mm. in, like, the, you know, kind of like in the, again, I'm using the, the background knowledge that I have, but kind of like a, a, a church retreat, you know, and you go off and you are just really focused for a few days on this one particular set of things um, and reconnecting with with your faith and with your spirituality and, and things like that. Um, I think it could be considered that on a larger scale, but I think more so it is an exile because he did not allow himself to enter back larger story well i i think i agreed with you up until like the last seven seconds because i think that kind of proves my point is that with an assignment and with a with a a set of specific instructions and actions that he was intending to complete it kind of it kind of goes against the idea of an exile because really what was yoda's assignment on dagobah there wasn't he would just he removed himself from the picture because of, of how poorly it had gone. And he was waiting until there was an opportunity for him to actually contribute again. Obi-Wan didn't necessarily I mean, leave the galaxy. Yoda was training with Qui-Gon. So do we define yeah. that as a mission or do we find that, do we define that just as like learning? I think that's just kind of, I think that's him having the opportunity to reflect and, and not be responsible for, you know, thousands of people on a day-to-day -day basis. And he finally gets the opportunity to crack open his own notebook and try things again on his own. I think that the difference is kind of like what you were saying is like he, with Obi-Wan, he had this mission of making sure that Luke was going to be ready. I don't think he, it's fair to say he abandoned the galaxy. I think the size of his galaxy shrank. It just it came down to where he was, and that's what he was responsible for. I mean, because your idea, your analogy of, of a spiritual retreat, which I, I think is a fair one to what Obi-Wan did, does not apply to what Yoda did, because he did not go there with the intention of developing and using that development for something else. He removed himself so that he no longer is a participating contributor. Obi-Wan never actually removed himself in the end, because he knew at a certain point... He was going to be needed to do this very particular thing. And so that's why I, I don't really know that it, it, it constitutes. I think it, of it more of a, a long con or an undercover mission in enemy territory for the long, long game. He, he's there with a goal in mind, and it's to bring down the— I mean, think about the scene in Rogue One where Mon Mothma and uh, what's-his-name, Bail Organa, are, sent, are talking about, you know, we need this trump card. We need some kind of special play there. And she looks at him and goes, your friend in the desert? So they know him, and they're waiting for the opportunity to bring him back and say, hey, look, it's time to, to get involved again because we think this is our best shot. Nobody says, what about the green little frog in the swamp? <laughs> the green. Uh, yeah, no, I, I can see that. And I think if we, if we get a Kenobi movie, um, that'll tell us. Mm, that, that'll that pretty definitively. So fortunate. Huh? That we could be so fortunate to have a Kenobi film would be phenomenal. I'm kind of mixed on it because 
I like the idea of, like you were saying, he's there on Tatooine for the long job. Um, and, and his whole focus for those 20 years was on making sure Luke stayed safe until he was ready yes. to train. Um, yes. So I do like that. At the same time, I do really want a Kenobi movie because it's Obi-Wan and I want Ewan McGregor to play Obi-Wan again. So I think if we do get that, though, um, whether he stays on Tatooine or not, um, whether he goes off on some mission for some threat that could be uh, something that could harm Luke later on or at the present time, I think if we get something like that, that that definitively would put a period on it, that it's not an exile and that it is... Um, just a long kind of like undercover mission like you were mentioning. Yeah, That would kind of be, for lack of a better term, the nail in the coffin for my argument that it's an exile. So, <laughs> um, Which I would be fine with. Like, I, I can see, I definitely can see your side of it. Um, and I think kind of, as we've been talking, I've kind of come a little bit closer to what, to what you're seeing and, and kind of a mix of the two. Um, it it kind of just comes down to the semantics of how you define exile um but I think yeah but i mean that's kind of the, what we do is is semantics <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure um but i think that naturally you know leads us to luke because he is again on a self-imposed exile and yeah this is going to be controversial but i think it was the right choice um mm -hmm. I, I i think going away from the galaxy was the right choice and the reason I think that is when we when we get to the end of Return of the Jedi, he throws his lightsaber away. And he does that to claim who he is. The Return of the Jedi, yes, means like Luke is a Jedi, but it's also focused on Anakin. It, it's kind of a double meaning. And I think the point of the end of Return of the Jedi is him really claiming who he is because that character has been defined by his relationship with his father a new hope is all about i want to be like my father empire strikes back is oh no my father's the worst person in the galaxy and return of the jedi is what do you do about that obviously an oversimplification but i think his choice of non-violence is an establishment of who he is and that he as a person was not going to make the same mistakes as his father um it was it was a personal victory for him that just happened to lead to a galactic victory if we jump forward and you're in the hut with Ben and he, of course, ignites the green lightsaber, he's doing that not because of the person of Luke Skywalker, but because of the legend of Luke Skywalker. And I think that's a distinction that has to be made because he even admits like he became a Jedi uh, or excuse me, a legend where he says, you know, you were the one that saved Darth Vader. And he says, and I became a legend. And that legend is the one that went into the hut um, to try to save everything that he loves. And so when he goes away, the legend has betrayed the person, and he, and he goes into exile to figure that out. And Ryan Johnson mentioned mm, this. Let's put a, put a pin okay, in that okay. thought. We'll, co we'll come back to that in a minute. I want you to finish, but okay. your, your statement of Luke goes into exile to what again? To, to kind of figure out where the legend— To figure it out, right. Okay. The legend and the person and how it all works together. We'll Luke, come back to that. Just the last note that that I wanted to to make is Ryan Johnson mentioned this that Luke goes off to Octu to die because he n believes that somebody else or something else is supposed to um, take over and that the the light the Force will call the next um, New Hope, which of course is Ray, 
and of course like he has a role to play in that even though at first he doesn't think that he does so um i think that he had like i said exile is is a time of trial where the person is able to sit and reflect on their mistakes um now that said i think going into exile was the right choice for luke how he was in exile i don't think was the right choice um i don't think mm. he, the bitter attitude that he had um was the right way to go about it he i don't think cutting himself off the from the force was the right way um to go about it i i understand why he did it i just disagree with that but i do think going away from the larger galaxy uh was the right decision because he did have to find where those two met so that we can get who we get at the end of the last jedi where he's able to maintain that non-violence that he claimed at uh the end of return of the jedi but then also be the legend that inspires the next generation to pick up the mantle and become the new hope hmm okay I think I read the material a little bit differently, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, so I'm not going to say you're completely wrong, but I think that the reason or the rationale for his exile is is different. Because he says he goes into... He, he sends himself into exile to die, right? And if we think that exile is intended to be a punishment for a thing, he's supposed to be given time to reflect on his actions and figure, like you had said, figure it out. And he's very early by comparison. He's very early into his exile, um, much further along the line than Yoda or Obi-Wan was when we see them finally get pulled back into the storyline. I think there's only a couple of years where Luke is out there, maybe between whenever Ben goes nutso. If we... What is it five, seven, yeah, ten years, something like that? Bloodline. Bloodline has the mention that uh, Luke and Ben are off training somewhere, but we never yeah. actually see them. So if we say that that is true and they actually are off training somewhere, and Ben hasn't turned already, um, then yeah, it would be about five, six years. Yeah, it's not very, not very much time. Because even if that was when in Bloodline, that was exactly where I was going to go. Is in Bloodline is because that's when he when the knowledge of Ben Solo's lineage is revealed publicly, even to him. And so that kind of begins the opportunity or, or begins the descent into into that darkness. And then it is manipulated by Snoke into something even much more dastardly. But I think the reason, this is kind of what I'm trying to parse out, because what it looks like to the viewer of The Last Jedi is that Luke takes his knowledge of the Force and runs and hides in, in this exile, and he goes to die in order to end the Jedi religion. That's kind of what he says his stated goal is. Now, we might have the unreliable narrator issue here, and what he says is his goal is not actually what the writers intend his goal to be or something like that, but taking him at his word, he goes to die and to end the line of Jedi. He goes to burn the books, and he's just not going to let it go. And I think the reason he ha he's in that mindset is because he sees the threat of the dark side coming out of a Jedi greater than if there are no Jedi at all. He's kind of eliminating the possibility for anybody in the future to fall to the dark side and become the new Darth Vader by never letting anybody have the opportunity to learn how to use the Force at all. It's kind of a... He's throwing a lot out with the bathwater. 
you know, it's kind of that he thinks that the te- maybe he's come to the realization that the teachings of the Jedi are, are just too dangerous for mere mortals to to, to handle effectively. Yeah, if he I himself, think, uh... the legend, can succumb to that, then anybody can. But I think there's a real fundamental problem with that, and it's Snoke, because when Ben understands who his history, where his history comes from, there's probably an interest and there's a dark side temptation there. But Snoke, as far as we know, and, and maybe I've, I've missed, you know, a paragraph in a book in a magazine somewhere, but, but Snoke is this outside evil entity, and evil exists outside of the Jedi Order. I think Luke's fault here, Luke's incorrect conclusion is that the only source of Darth Vader is within the Jedi Order. Like, if you don't have a Jedi Order, you don't have a Darth Vader. And while that may, necess- that may be true... It is not the same thing as there is no evil in the galaxy if there are no Jedi. That's the issue that he misses. And so his exile is kind of built on this faulty premise that if he takes away the good that the Jedi can do, it will prevent the harm that they could do as well. Because he's missing the fact that there's just flat out evil things out there that don't need the Jedi or the teachings of the Jedi in order to kind of incubate that evil out there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, and I, I actually agree agree with you. Um, I don't think our our two points are mutually exclusive, and and I think it's Good really it's, I think it's really important that he mentions in the Last Jedi that there was balance because we know that Palpatine sensed some greater threat outside of the galaxy in the unknown regions or somewhere um, in wild space, which is. Part of the reason he brings Thrawn in and part of the reason that he's setting up the contingency plan and having stuff being built um, out in that area for if his empire should fall. It's part of the reason that he Ugh. is expanding the galaxy. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that part's terrible, but like, it's it. The bottom line is there's a great threat that's out there, right? And it's a it's threat- the Yuzin Vong. This isn't hard. <laughs> Obviously. Um, but so theoretically, accepting that like that's Snoke that's out there, which I think is what we're supposed to be um, inferring about. That. I think you're right. Yeah. To say that there was balance. OK, well, was there balance because Luke and Snoke are equal in power? I don't think so. So then what you know, I, we, go, we go back to what does balance mean? And I, I, that's exactly my point. Is I hate that phrase. It's so it's I, dumb. It's dumb and bad and dumb. and It should be dumb. Well, and. But I think if we go to what George was saying about balance, um, he said that balance is the the absence of the dark side as an active player in the galaxy. So if we if we consider that, then does Luke just not sense Snoke, and is that why he believes that there is balance? Right. Or you know, like because if that's if that's it, then maybe you know that 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 changes things a lot because. He, if he doesn't sense Snoke that's out there, then the point of view that he's going to have is that the Jedi lead to a cycle of violence. Um, yeah. You know, because he, does, he doesn't have a greater threat to, to hold off. We know he's out searching the galaxy for Jedi ar- artifacts and, and learning um, and knowledge and stuff. And then who's the one that causes the problems again? It's, it's the Jedi. So I can definitely understand his point of view if that's what happened um, and, and he wasn't aware of Snoke, which I I don't think he was, because I think if he was aware of Snoke, he just goes and confronts him. Um, it doesn't make sense that he, he wouldn't, right? Like, 
I think a lot of Snoke's power is in the showiness of his power. Um, I don't think... Hmm. Like, I, I think Snoke is powerful in the Force because otherwise Palpatine wouldn't have been aware of him. But I think it's it's almost... It's not exactly like the Wizard of Oz, but it, it's kind of the same idea. Like, he projects himself bigger so that he seems more intimidating. Um, he... The entire throne room is focused on him. Uh, you know, you, you can't see any of the outside. Like, you have to walk down this long aisle just to get to him. Um, Palpatine had, there was stuff off to the side, and there were steps that you had to go up. You weren't staring at him the whole time. Hmm, that's interesting. In. So, and, and, like, even the powers that we see him use, we don't see him actually, like, hold force lightning like Palpatine did. He does, like, a quick burst that knocks Kylo down. So... I don't think he's not powerful. I think he, he he is very, very powerful, but I don't think he's powerful enough, whereas Luke, if Luke had walked in, he would have just, you know, it, it been any contest for Luke. Luke would have whooped up on him. So May, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know if this is the point to really disagree on, but I think Snoke's demonstration of Force Lightning Mastery is something to be feared because he li he's sitting in a chair in the most relaxed position possible. He lifts one finger and zaps, you know, he zaps it across the room. Whereas even Palpatine, when we see him on the second Death Star, he is he is using kind of a both hands approach. He's you know he's got a lunge forward. He's got to continue to do it, and he keeps pouring more into it, and more into it, and it's not enough to get Luke. And, and maybe you're right. That's a uh, that's kind of a it kind of identifies the strength that Luke has in that moment, even on the Death Star. But I mean, I think Snoke is clearly meant to be a a, a very powerful, uh, pardon the pun, force. But I think that's you can't discount the the sheer power he's meant to have on display. Yeah, but I also don't think you can discount how powerful Luke had become. And that that's a good point. I think Luke at his peak wouldn't have been a problem. Right. But when and I think that's what Snoke's plan was, is kind of to take out the confidence from underneath Luke that he has. And knowing that would put him in such a vulnerable state, it would make him much less powerful and much less of a threat to the plans that he has for the New Order. So I think that was really the genius of, of the Kylo Ren deception and ploy is to say, I'm not going to fight him face to face. But I'm going to take out every opportunity he has to draw on any kind of strength and power, and I'm going to take all of that away, and then I'm going to kick him when he's down. And I think he knew that – I think Snoke knew that when that happened, when he he in created this thought in Luke's head to say of the failure that he had, it's his own fault – he would follow the path of a Jedi. You know, everybody who's taught Luke anything about the Force has spent 20 years in exile after something terrible happened that they caused. So I think Snoke played on that theory that says, oh, when a Jedi screws up, they're supposed to go hide under a rock. And he was just waiting for that to happen. And that's when he made his move. Yeah, that I think I think you're definitely right there. I think if Luke had sensed him, though, um, prior to all of that stuff starting to happen he would have been in a position where he would have just gone out and yeah right you know but um, don't you think like the scene the scene of him in the hut with ben doesn't that tend us to believe that he was aware of snoke's presence at the time because doesn't luke say that ben had already been you know kind of tempted by snoke and by his machinations yeah and leia does mention snoke in the force awakens see that's she does. She does. I. I it, that's the thing that makes it hard is we don't know like. <laughs> we don't have enough information. Yeah. Yes. Like the and. 
I get the the argument that like, oh well, we didn't know much about Palpatine, you know, in the original trilogy and stuff. But it's like at the same time, we didn't know he a lot had about so Darth Vader. Much... We didn't know like we didn't know a lot about anything. We have well, a lot more knowledge now about how the larger galaxy works. The and... point is, we knew where they were going. We yeah. knew that. Palpatine was going to be the evil space wizard president of everything. And so we knew that his goal was this position of leadership and galactic control. And so when we see him scheming and, and twirling an invisible mustache, basically, we understand that he's doing these things to get to a point. We don't have that same kind of, you know, familiarity with Snoke. All we know is bad guy doing bad things. We don't know what his goal is. We don't know what conquest looks to him. We don't know where he comes from, but we also don't know where he's going. So that's kind of the – I think that's a fault of the prequels is we already know what happens to these guys. And if it's an interesting thing to watch them get there, that's one thing. But I, I would make the argument that it's not super – it's not as compelling as it could have been. But we're not here to argue about the prequels. <laughs> and But I – so – I want to move on because we kind of gotten off of the topic of exile and a little bit into Snoke theory. I want to jump back and go to Ray because I think Ray is a very intriguing case because she's very different from the other three that we've talked about so far. Jump we need a pilot. We've got one. You. Ah, what about that ship? That much garbage. Ray has been forced in exile basically since birth. I mean, I know she, in the vision she's like probably three or four, but for lack of a better term, we'll just say like since birth. She doesn't know her parents. She doesn't know where she comes from. So it's like, what is she really learning in this exile? Because the exile for the other three characters that we've talked about is a learning experience for them. Whether they plan to take that learning and go back out into the galaxy or not is arguable, but at the end of the day, they were learning um from their mistakes or they ended up learning from their mistakes they were supposed to yeah yeah so when i was thinking about ray i was really asking myself like okay what is she learning and what i came down to is she's learning how to survive and how to fix broken things so and and more importantly though (laughs) but more importantly i think she's learning patience and i think that's the key to taking those other skills and using them to get through what she gets through in the force awakens and the last jedi because she needs that patience to stay by luke and not just immediately give up on him um she uses her survival skills and instincts to get through snoke and kylo without fully turning to the dark side although i do think at, at points she toes that line pretty carefully um whether she intends to or not but and then and then having to scavenge to survive like i think if we think about that as like the base level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like she has had to claw and scratch for the base level of existence when she's going to these higher um, steps and and looking for her place in the larger story. The basics came, she had to fight so much for just the basics. She knows that anything higher than that, she's going to have to put in the work for and that nothing is going to come easy. So at the end of the day, I think she's really learning from the tragedy of her existence and then she's taking those skills, and that's making her um, the character that she is in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Hmm. 
I think you're right about the action steps and what she's there for. I don't think in any universe you can call this an exile, though. This is this is not a punishment that fits any kind of action she could have possibly taken. I think this is just unbelievably bad parenting. And but I know that there's theories out there about her origin and where she comes from and all that jazz, but I'm much more apt to just let the films tell that story, like, and what that they tell us is the story. You know, she's lived her whole life because her parents abandoned her. I mean, that's not an exile to abandon somebody like that, especially when she's, you know, she has a community. It's garbage, but she has a community there. But this is not a punishment for anything she's done. This is not a chance for her to reflect on any failures. She hasn't done anything wrong at that point in her life. And, and I think it's more her origin story is more to line up with one Luke's origin story of little orphan Annie kind of on the planet that no one's ever heard of. And, you know, this goes back to like the Joseph Campbell's you know, origin of all stories kinds of thing, where you have the person who comes from obscurity, who seeks some kind of a home in what's the, whatever the opposite of obscurity is, I guess it's obscurity maybe. And it goes even further with like the King Arthur legend of finding Excalibur, where both both Luke and Ray have this moment of discovery of the ultimate weapon that's going to lead them into their true identity. So I don't think you call this exile. Although I'm impressed you dropped Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like without skipping a beat. I'm impressed, dude. <laughs> you know, again, I overthink these things. You can uh, read things that are not junior novelizations. I am so <laughs> proud of you. Um. So yeah. No, I. <laughs> I don't think exile is the the correct term for it um, when you when you say it that way, but she definitely has kind of a a similar experience to Luke and Obi Wan and Yoda in that she is removed from the larger things that are going on in the galaxy and she's having to learn from what's going on around her and learn to. Mm. Well, I, I mean, would I would differentiate that in one way is that Yoda and Obi Wan spent time in the company of the galaxy at large. Luke and Rey were born in a dust ball and never. It's not reconnecting to the galaxy because they never had a first opportunity to connect. They outgrow their homes and what they know in the search for their true identity and and place in the galaxy. So that's the only differentiation I want to mention there. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I agree with that. Um, but I do think that she, that it, one of the things that I think makes the exile for Luke and Obi-Wan and Yoda so important is the learning that they go through because then it, you know, for Obi-Wan and Yoda, it sets up what Luke's going to learn. For Luke, it sets up what Ray's going to learn. For Ray, it's going to set up, you know, what, you know, her, her story because it's, Things like how to pilot and how to speak other languages and stuff like yeah she learned these because she had she had to to survive right like she 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 needed to know these things in order to just stay alive um and so when she's dealing with more complex things like kylo and all his you know uh issues and snoke <laughs> and the whole war and everything like that like she, that's why she doesn't quit on luke because she knows you know how to take something that's broken and to put it back together. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's really important. I agree with you. I don't think exile is the exact um, right term for it, um, but I do think it has some of the tenets that 
um, we see in yeah. the other exiles. Yeah, you're, you're you're right. They have they have they share similarities, but there's a foundational difference. Again, even those things like those things and elements that she is learning, she is not learning them as a correction of how she used to be. It's a defining of who she actually is. Like that's her step one. I mean, if we had followed Obi Wan from his birth on Stujan, and then there's some kind of like he's abandoned there, there would be more alignment in those kinds of things. But I think that Ray's situation is fundamentally different even if there are milestones along the way that look similar to these other journeys i like what you said about that the exiles of the other characters lead up to they kind of culminate in her experience and, and in her training itself i i like that idea that there's some kind of value in the exile that a person goes through where they can cast that value further down the timeline beyond themselves i mean that's kind of my original thought was Yoda is like, he goes there to die himself. He goes there to pay the toll for his insufficiencies as a leader and his inability to stop Palpatine, his Palpatine's rise. And, and I think that Yoda basically resigns himself to that fate. And it's Obi-Wan who even from the grave says, you will go to the Dagobah system. I mean, Maybe there's some, again, a panel in a comic somewhere where Yoda and Ghost Obi-Wan are having a conversation about that, about it's time to bring Luke to me. But really, Obi-Wan is the one who is pushing forward those kinds of elements of, no, there's more to be done. There's more to be done. There's more to be done. And I like how that's mirrored in Ray's patience with Luke that says, I'm not giving up. I'm still not giving up. And I'm still not giving up. Yeah, because I think... I mean, we know in the comics that Luke has Obi-Wan's journal, um, and, and we yeah. get some Obi-Wan stories through that. So I think Luke was aware of the fact that, like you were saying, Obi-Wan was aware that there was more to be done and more to be done and more to, more to be done. The The only thing in there that I, I kind of wonder about when you, when you mentioned Yoda is there's that story in a certain point of view um, where Yoda— Never heard talking... of it. <laughs> it's your favorite book. Um, I like the mouse story now. Leave me alone. God, what am I going to do with you? <laughs> I, oh, anyways. I, I don't know, dude. You're on your own with that one. So, so there is the the part where he says that he's basically more interested in training Leia because of how she's grown up and, and things like that. And Obi-Wan is like, no, Luke is the one that we need to be training and stuff and finally convinces Yoda. The canonity for lack of a better term i'm gonna make that word up the canonity canonity canonicism of of the story is is up in the air but i think at the end of the day it 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 does the only difference between what you're saying and maybe what that adds is maybe he didn't just go there to die um but i don't know I basically just take anything in a certain point of view with a grain of salt because nobody's going to come out and say how canon it actually is. So I'm just considering it non-canon. And, and I think, yeah, you've got a really good point there. There, There's kind of reflections of Obi-Wan and Yoda when we come to Luke's story. Um, and I find that really interesting. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, and I hadn't thought about this character when we were kind of um, planning the show out. You mentioned Galen Erso. Jin, my stardust. I can't imagine what you think of me. 
When I was taken, I faced some bitter truths. I was told that soon enough Krennic would have you as well. As time went by, I knew that you were either dead or so well hidden that he would never find you. Um, and I, I find him very interesting because he is one of, he's really the only non-force user I could think of. I think you mentioned you have some other ones you wanted to bring up, but him being a non-force user, I was thinking about whether the rules um, for 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 exile apply to him. Is he is he in this exile, finding himself and overcoming the tragedy of his past? And I I kind of came down to yes and no. Um, I think Galen does have to find himself, um, but he at the end of the day he knows who he is because of the events of the book catalyst and right when we see him in the beginning of rogue one he tells Jin, everything i do i do it for you and that like they're basically saying like this is who this character is mm -hmm. um but i do think that while he is uh building the death star he's having to work to overcome that tragedy of his life where he's had to give up um doing what he loves but he did it for his family and then he's forced to give up his family to do what he used to love but it's being manipulated for evil um i i think it's a really tragic story and it's all the sacrifices that he makes all the danger that he puts himself in um in, in setting up the flaw in the death star that prepares the next generation to be the one that can step up and prove that his life was not for nothing and we get everything with rogue one and of course luke blowing up the death star and all of that happens because of galen's exile because of him learning from the mistakes of what we saw in Catalyst, where he kind of was all gung-ho and, yeah, you know, kind of um, like the hydrogen bomb situation where they were trying to find, you know, they were using this science, never thinking it was going to be weaponized. And right. then they saw it was weaponized and how tragic that is. I think there's definitely a parallel there. Um, but I do think that, again, Galen, his whole um, character is defined in that one line. And so when we, when we see him later and we see him die... Um, it's the motivation that Jin needs to be the character she is uh, by the end of Rogue One. And that, of course, leads to the rest of our story. Yeah. I really like this one because I think it's the proper way that Luke should have acted um, after Ben Solo's fall. I think that Galen's action of, of self-imposed exile is not a punishment. This is kind of like the case that the exception that proves the rule Um I think his his going into exile is an offensive strike against the Empire because he's taking what he knows and is hiding it. He's preventing the Empire from being able to complete the the work on the Death Star. I mean, his his work and his um, and his expertise literally puts the death in Death Star, and he's taking that away from them. So it's a very purposeful action that he's taking. He's not going to contemplate anything. He's not going to atone for past mistakes he's he's using this as you know as thumbing his nose at them and saying you are i am not gonna let this happen and then he, he he goes away and i think there's a real beauty and and poeticism in the fact that he goes back to he goes to farming because he has taken again it, the death star kills planets and that's what it's designed to do and his actions of going against that is literally tilling of soil and the cultivation of life his Everything he does is standing in opposition of the Empire, and he does it in such a way that he removes himself from the situation as much as possible. He delays the construction, which 
helps to save lives, maybe not as successfully as we'd all like, or they would have liked in the universe, but he is so purposeful in what he is doing that he's not giving up. And in fact, he allows himself to be sucked back into it. But that's when, like you had said, he develops the flaw. He hides it deep within you know, the belly of the beast, but he, he, he makes it known that there is a way out, that there is an answer to this puzzle that will solve it for all the good and it will undo all, all the damage and all the disaster that the Empire wants to use this tool for. It, it, this is kind of the attitude that I wish, I think that everyone wished Luke would have had, right? We would have wanted Luke to stand up and say, I, you know, th I made a mistake, this is bad, however, I'm not going to let things get any worse. I'm going to actively find a way to thwart the plans of the evil villains responsible for the fall of Ben Solo. But he doesn't, Luke doesn't do that. I think Galen's actions stand in opposition to Luke's as kind of a demonstration of the two choices of, of falling back in on yourself and saying, I've got to figure something out. Or I don't know if maybe he just figured it out so much faster and said, I can come up with a plan on the way or something like that. But I think Galen's actions are so much more worthy and honorable that, and, and maybe like I said, it's a timeline thing of just getting there and maybe Luke didn't have enough time before Ray comes and knocking on his door. But I think his is so much more interesting, and that's kind of the heroism that we wished had been in Luke. And I think a lot of the uh, the haters on The Last Jedi, they think that should have been Luke's decision. Like, they would have, maybe subconsciously or unconsciously, they would have wanted Luke to follow the path that Galen Erso set before him. And, and man, can you imagine if, if Luke and... Jin had gotten together at a point and been able to exchange stories and the difference that could have made in things. Oh, well, I think the intention of Luke was to do like Galen or so. I think by going to that island to die and let the next new hope come and, and lead the way to the future, I think he felt like he was doing that. I just think, like I mentioned before, he he didn't do it. He, it wasn't the, <laughs> the way he did it was not the correct way to do it. Um, I think yeah, and that's kind of my point. I think is Galen's is the yeah. appropriate step. Like he 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 is designed to sabotage. Like he has removed the pin that will complete the puzzle, and and he says no, not on my watch. And then he they unfortunately go and shoot his wife, and that you know that's bad. That's that's bad. That's well, real bad. Yeah, <laughs> not great. Uh, it's not good. Krennic is not a good guy. Uh, oh, he's I, so cool though. <laughs> really he's got that is. cap and the coat. He's awesome. And the cape. The cape yes. Makes yes. It all. Capes are great. I think uh, Luke had the intention, but not the execution. I think Galen had both the intention and the execution. Yeah. Well, and, and Luke had the, the examples in the wrong direction too. Unfortunately, I don't know where Galen comes from, but I would love to have seen what he saw as a younger man. Do you think that, like, as soon as he got taken by the Empire, he had this plan in mind? Or do you think that this is more of something that evolved along the way and he was searching for something that he could do to thwart the plan? Hmm. If I'm him, I am, as soon as they shoot his wife, my whole thought process is, how do I destroy everything these guys have built 
what is the best way of undoing what they have done? And so I think what he starts, he starts probably immediately finding a way and coming up with a design that will be, you know, literally that, that, that flaw in the design, like he hides that flaw. And I think that's, he, he probably purposed in his mind to stop the empire at all costs. And this was the best way he could find it. And I think it was a good, it was a good one. I don't think he stumbled onto it. If that's your question, I don't think he like yeah. six years into his work. I don't think he went back to work saying, "I'm going to build the biggest, bestest Death Star I could possibly build." I don't think that, that makes sense in no, his character. No, no, no. I don't think he he did that. I'm I'm wondering, do you think he knew like exactly what he could do right from the start? Or oh no, was, yeah, no, okay. not a chance. Like, there's no way he was like, "Oh yeah, I bet if I put a thermal exhaust port right below the main port, that's about two meters wide." And you know, I don't think he came up with that, but. I mean, I'm trying to remember where I read it. There's a book. I don't know if it's the Rogue One novelization or something else that has like basically emails from Galen to his superiors. And it shows him like saying why the exhaust port was necessary. And, really? Um, they were trying to like, was well, there another way to solve this? And he's like, it would cost, you know, this much money to do it and it would you know the amount of manpower and time that it would take and it would set us back this far so basically he like talked them into just saying all right whatever we'll put this exhaust port in there who cares um i really wish i could if you if you know where that's located tweet at clashing sabers and let us know hmm. because i would like to go back and and reread that and kind of narrow it down a little bit more but um so yeah he i mean Everything that Galen did, I think, was was great. I think every mistake that he made, he learned from very effectively. Um, yeah. even, in, even in Catalyst, uh, you know, we see him getting so lost in his work, and once he he sees that he's hurting Jin, like he's cold turkey. Like he just cuts it off and is like, "No, like I'm not. I'm not going to go this way." Um, and and his whole family goes into exile. He actually. I mean, if you think about it, he has, like, two starkly different exiles. He has the one, you know, with his family where he's just trying to stay away from the Empire. And then, of course, the one we see him in in Rogue One where he is actively trying to yeah. save the Empire. You know, I'm not sure I knew there was a Rogue One novelization. Have, have you guys not covered this on the burning of the sacred text thing? Uh, no, we haven't. We haven't covered <laughs> we haven't covered the uh the novelizations for force awakens or rogue one because we've been catching really? on all the other stuff yeah we're gonna circle around to that eventually we did last jedi and solo just because those books came out during the show we're kind of going through the the releases and then every time a new book comes out we're um going over that book so i think right. at some point we will circle around to it it's it was I'm by gonna find this book and read it. who also did um battlefront uh and who's doing alphabet squadron so it's a, it's a great book personally it's my favorite of the novelizations that have come out uh, really yeah it, i just think it's a really how are you well just telling me about this now there's it's a movie every movie i has trusted you that was your mistake you have failed me for the last time. It's an ebook. Okay, uh, at the library. Great. Okay, support your public library every day on every show. Every show. Um, okay, so I want to talk about Ahsoka, but I am going to save that and and add it on to the end because it's going to contain spoilers for season four of Rebels, which you haven't seen. So, 
before we kind of close out our conversation together, was there anybody else you wanted to mention as far as Exile is concerned? Um, I have a question. I have, I have a question for you. And this may not count, and it's just because I don't know a lot of the ancillary material around the character, but do we know what happens to Darth Maul between the Phantom Menace and the Clone Wars episodes he shows up in? Uh, I think what we're supposed to believe is that he was just on whatever that trash planet was building those spider legs. Uh, but <laughs> I love those things, I, by the way. Uh, there's no, like, official official story, which is okay. interesting because, like, that could be considered an exile. Um, and also, at some point where we see him in Solo leads to where we see him in Twilight of the Apprentice, where he's on Malachor and he's stuck on Malachor. So it kind of begs the question of, like, okay, what happened that he was in this position of power because uh, Crimson Dawn was the most powerful crime syndicate at the time, and he's the head of it. And then he, again, falls from grace for uh, to end up on Malachor. And is that in exile and, and everything like that, I think, is interesting. Yeah. Um, he's yeah, definitely not a character that learns from his mistakes, though. That's a good point. He really, really doesn't. He's, uh, although those spider legs are so cool. Like, would you rather have, if you had, if you if you got cut in half by a lightsaber, would you rather have spider legs like that for the rest of your life, or would you go back to bipedal machines? I mean, if we could make better spider legs, I think his spider legs were kind of, like, put together with garbage. If Mother Talzin <laughs> could have, like, hooked him up with some better spider legs, you okay, okay. spider legs. Okay, so if, if you could get, like, top of the line, like, Ferrari level uh, spider legs over, like let's let's kind of like. Have you ever seen the movie Contact? No, I don't think so. All right, there's an alien in there that has these like has really tall legs and they bend backwards, and so they kind of look like I don't know, like a giraffe or a kangaroo. I don't know. My uh, my knowledge of the animal kingdom is failing me at the moment, but I, I like there's some I can imagine cool like robot legs for uh, Darth Maul. I like Darth Maul. I, um, I I don't even need Ferrari level, level <clears throat> spider legs. I just need like you know Volkswagen level Walmart like. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't do that because like the paint's gonna scrape off before you get home. It's not covered <laughs> by the warranty. It's gonna fall apart after two uses. Don't uh, do that. Don't do it. Fine, fine. Tar uh, Target level, Target level spider legs. That's true. You can get a five percent off with your red card too. Yes, exactly. Um, and because like his are his are like Dollar General spider legs uh, if, we could, if we could upgrade to target level i'd be about that life so the other two things that popped into my mind when i'm looking at this topic I, I i remembered and realized that there's actually a book in the legacy of the force series called exile and i went to go look and see what that had the title had to do with the rest of the novel and I have no idea. Like, I know I read the book. I know I have a copy, again, in a box in the attic somewhere. Uh, plot synopsis left me nothing. But what I'll tell you, what was interesting, is that the Legacy of the Four series, this is the book series after the New Jedi Order, so you're looking at 35 years after the Battle of Yavin, I think. So this is kind of like instead of the new Disney movies, it's kind of the same era. Um was a really interesting nine book series that kind of was published in the few years after 9-11. And it was a very different approach to storytelling, I think. I think there are 
really leaning into some dark and spooky elements there, um, inspired by federal government actions in the United States, which is interesting enough. But what I, I say that to say, I'm probably going to get all nine books out of the attic one day, read through them, take good notes, and have a, a uh, research paper for you guys in the next five to ten years. So stay tuned, I guess. <laughs> for a really long – go off on an exile of your own, and by the time you come back, Drew will have if, this ready. If you are listening to this now, and at some point in the future it is published, and you have this recording on your phone, I will give you like $100. Like, of, of that timeline, $100, which will probably be, like, $5, but that's a different story. I'm on a teacher salary, so I'll give you some pencils and paper. <laughs> I have tons of construction paper if you need that. I've got all the construction paper you need for the rest of your life. You know what? That sounds good. I can get some of those tri-fold display boards, like, for science projects and whatnot, yeah. and, and I'll make a little uh, interactive thing. That will be great. You'd appreciate that. Um, the last thing I have is a question. Um, I know you want to go on about Ahsoka a little bit. Does Kanan have anything like that in his history? I do we consider about him... his Do we consider his actions an exile of sorts? Because he was a Padawan at the temple, right? Right. And then, have you read the Kanan comic? No. Okay. If you read any of the comics, you need to read the Kanan comic, especially right. because of how much you you enjoy uh, the character. It's so so worth it. So in there, he basically um, becomes a smuggler for a little bit and is kind of working that life and trying to, to stay in hiding as they're, the, the clones are still trying to hunt him for a while. Um, but then when we pick him up in A New Dawn, it, it seems as though he's kind of just been taking job, going job to job and just trying to keep on the move oh, so that he doesn't get caught. I forgot caught. about that book. Yeah, mm. I don't think He's kind of basically become like a drunk for, you know, and and then works on to he works to sustain his drinking problem basically. Um, <laughs> then, then, I don't like uh, that. I don't like that. That's not good. No, it's not good. Um, but it is funny. Uh, and and then of course Hera comes along and and everything changes. But I don't think yeah I don't think there would be any exile because he wasn't really ever away from everything. He was okay. just not using his powers he was he was on the run i don't think he was ever in exile so a little bit more tony stark a la iron man two and three yes have you seen those movies yes do you know who tony stark is no <laughs> <laughs> uh, big suit of armor take it all away what is he you know still genius philanthropist millionaire playboy but we have a hulk Yes, they do. And that solves it. Or did. Oh, well, yeah. Does it, though? True. Does it, though? That's, that's too, too soon, dude. Too soon. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to throw it to future you, and you're going to tell us about things that you already know that I'm going to learn one day. Yes. And then when you go back and listen to it five, ten years from now, I will have $5 worth of construction paper. <laughs> You better save it and put a sticky note on it with my name on it. I'm a come for that. That <laughs> paper. Five uh, years right. from now, be in like middle school, and, and we're gonna be doing these stupid projects that you dumb teachers make us do. I mean, that's not true. I'm not doing any projects for my kids. Yeah, I was gonna say like you're not really supposed to be doing it, but you know, Nobody did projects for me. 
I failed projects all on my own, thank you very much, like an American. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never failed any, but... Um, it's the greatest teacher failure is. Yeah, I know. That's why it took me until I was almost 30 to learn all the things I actually, actually needed to know for life. <laughs> nice. All right, so um, I'll That's go ahead to Ian. We'll, I'll close out and lead into Ahsoka. So, Drew, I'm going to let you sign off. Um, oh. Anything you want to plug or anything like that? Um, you can find me on the Twitters at the Drew Brett. I had started a new um, blog series on my. If you go to the ClashingSabers.net, you find a thing that I wrote, which will be the ones that a you you probably didn't read the first time and nobody really likes. If you look for ones under the Autumnal Nights name, if you go to that website, I'm starting a a new kind of uh, hopefully a weekly series. My kids and I are trying to play through Final Fantasy X, and I didn't realize how difficult this was going to be, but it's been a blast. So I'll be putting those up, hopefully, again, on a, on a regular basis. Check those out. Um, play along at home. Um, if you play the game, you'll understand some of our, our points of pain. If you've never played the game, it's available for purchase at your local, I don't know where you get games anymore, but the internet, maybe? So check that out. It's called Final Fantasy and Elementary School. So the introduction is up. Um, I should have part one up soon. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Drew. Well, then, if that's all you got, batch eight. Hi-ho! You can't save your master, and I can't save mine. So I want to talk about Ahsoka for a second because I've developed a theory around what happens to her uh, in that time in between World Between Worlds or the end of the season two uh, Twilight of the Apprentice episodes and when we see her at the end of Rebels where she's going off with Sabine to... Uh, go find Ezra I guess I should say spoiler alert for season four of Rebels but there you go Um, Ahsoka lives but I think that she is in an exile herself um, but more of a selfless exile Uh, she tells Ezra at the end of World Between Worlds that she can't save her master any more than he can save him uh, or he can save Kanan and it's very reminiscent of what Luke says about Kylo Ren, that he's there to face him, but he's not there to save him. Um, it doesn't mean he can't be saved. It just means Luke's not the one who's going to be able to do it. And likewise, I think Ahsoka is not the one who's going to be able to save Anakin. Now, I do think she plays a major role in this. And I've written an article about this uh, on the website. But to kind of go into it, I think that Ahsoka is the light in the darkness that keeps hope alive uh, as far as Anakin is concerned until that time when Luke is able to step in uh, and fully bring Anakin back to the light. So in the season two Twilight of the Apprentice uh, season finale we see Ahsoka and she's facing Vader and she busts the mask open and there is a mix of Vader's voice by James Earl Jones and Anakin's voice by Matt Lanter and I don't think that that is accidental at all. Um, I don't think they showed Anakin's face on accident at all. They're showing that he's still in there. And Ahsoka knows that she cannot be the one to save him because she's one of the ones who let him down. Uh, there's a, a three-strike system in, in fiction, um, and Ahsoka, Shmi, and Padme are the three strikes for Anakin that eventually cause him to fall to the dark side. So... Again, Ahsoka's not the one to be able to save him, but she's the light in the darkness. We can't forget that she has the light of the daughter in her and that that light was transferred to her 
uh, via Anakin on Mortis. So she has the light of the daughter in her, and I think she stays on Malachor, which is this Sith home planet, to fight against the darkness completely taking over, which is why when you see her at the end, she's in all white. It's very reminiscent of uh, Gandalf the White, but they're showing that Ahsoka has stayed the same person. She stayed true to herself, and I think that that exile was a good chance for her to really learn who she was supposed to be, um, where she made her mistakes and things like that. But we don't have a lot of content as far as that is concerned, but I think we'll get some more of that later. But overall, I think um, I, I've heard things with the new casting show coming out um, and things like that, that there's a chance for Ahsoka. I really, this is going to be a shocker for people, I really hope we don't see Ahsoka in that series because I want her to have been in exile for those uh five six years however long the uh the galactic civil war lasted and she is out there now um being smarter being wiser and having grown a great amount because she fought against that darkness taking over for such a long time so to kind of summarize the theory i think that ahsoka like i've said multiple times is the light in the darkness she's kind of the flame so if you think about it kind of like the the olympic torch right it gets passed from one person to the other until it gets to its destination i kind of see this in the in the same fashion um that the the light and the hope got passed from uh jedi like qui-gon to obi-wan to anakin um and then he dropped it so ahsoka picked it up and she kept that going until uh luke and the rebellion were ready to really step into things so i'd love to hear what you think about this theory i'd love to hear uh characters that we left out um, who you think have gone into exile, who you think should go into exile, or any other thoughts on our episode. We would really, really appreciate it if you would uh, jump over and give us a like, uh, subscribe, and review uh, on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is. In the next couple months here, I want to start doing some more contests and giveaways and stuff like that. So I'm going to say it right now. If you go and give a rating and review, rating and five-star review, um, I will message you on Facebook or Twitter or one of those social media outlets, and I will hook you up with something really cool. I'm thinking of this on the spot, so I don't know what that really cool thing is. We'll talk about it. But go over there. Uh, follow Drew at the Drew Brett. Follow the whole network at Clashing Sabers on Twitter. You can email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. Those are the two best ways to get in touch with us. But the, the you know, way to hang out with us and the way to really interact with us is come join us on our Facebook group the Star Wars Clashing Sabers community over on Facebook. Um, we have such great people there. Please come. If you're a content creator making Star Wars stuff, come share your stuff on there. Love it. I love it. I love seeing everything that everybody's doing. Um, it's a very inclusive community, and we just really want uh, more awesome people to be a part of it. So until next time, what? wait, how do I do this? Drew? Drew, are you still there? Uh, batch of eight, hi-ho? The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.